Well, good morning, Connection Church. Um, yes and amen to everything that that video encouraged us to, to pray for. When you, when you really start thinking about how it's, it's not about seeing a church that looks like this planted there, but a, a church that knows Jesus, a people that have access to Jesus, that have a witness to why did Jesus have to die, that's our motivation, is that the name of Jesus would be proclaimed where uh, people have little to no access uh, because God created them and desires to know uh, and love them. That's what we're after. But that's what we're after also here this morning. Uh, is as we go into this series called It Is Finished, um, I, I want to ask this question for us. Is that true for us? In other words, is it finished for us? Not just were the events of Jesus being crucified and resurrected true or could they be true, but have we begun to experience the it is finished life that Jesus offers? So I want to read uh, John 19, verses 28 through 30. This is where we see this scene. This is where we hear the words of it is finished. I do think it's fascinating that out of all the Gospels, whether it's Matthew, Mark, or Luke, they're able to communicate the events of the crucifixion, but John, being the best friend of Jesus, is standing close enough to the events of the resurrection that he's able to hear the final words of Jesus. Let that sink in for you. There's a lot of people standing, including Jesus' own mother, including some of the other disciples that are there to witness the crucifixion. John is standing close enough to hear the last words of Jesus, and this is what it sounds like. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, we need to think about that, now that knowing that all was now finished, said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, thank you for this church. God, thank you for years and years and years of your faithfulness to us. Lord God, I believe that you want to see the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus be true for more people in this city. I believe that you want that for people this morning, that we could rest in the fact that it is finished, that we could say that with confidence, that we could say that with courage, that we could say that with conviction, God, that it is finished. God, help us. Be near to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to look at what, what does this idea mean? What does this phrase mean that it is Finish. Not just the words that are recorded uh, necessarily on the page or how it played out throughout history, but how does, it, how does it impact our life today? Over the next several weeks, we'll, we'll go further looking at a couple of different both metaphors and images of what the finished work of Jesus means. But this morning, I just want to look at John 19 itself, uh, and I want us to think about the events leading up to it. If you've never had a chance to read the Gospel of John, if you're new to church or if you're new to the idea of the Bible, what has happened so far is that Jesus is born into the world 
and what he understands himself to be is God. He is, he is come, this is God coming into human existence in the flesh to come and communicate something to the world. And he assembles these, these what was called the disciples. They begin to follow him. You could think of them as the earliest students of Jesus. And they have lived this life watching all of the life of Jesus. Now, what has happened so far is just incredible thing after incredible thing after incredible thing that the disciples have been able to witness. And there's been a crowd of people watching all of the life of Jesus. And for the purposes of what we want to talk about this morning, let's just say this is not how they expected things to go. Those who are closest to Jesus now have, have watched him move in power. He has healed people from the dead. He has made blind people see. He's made paralyzed people begin to walk. And now this person that they have begun to declare allegiance in following is now crucified. And John standing there in amazement at this, his best friend being crucified and nailed to the cross, hears these words, it is finished. And you would think if a person has the power to raise the dead, to heal people of infirmities that no one, doctors, no one can heal, for the words, it is finished, to be followed by his last breath is a surprise. And so what is it that is finished? What is it that is, has been made available to us? As we go on after this in the Gospel of John in chapter 20 and chapter 21, what we know is that Jesus didn't stay dead. He is resurrected. He walks out of the tomb. That's what every song that we have sang this morning has been about, right? Is this belief that this Jesus who declared himself to be God has invited us to believe in him, walks out of the grave, and now for thousands of years, people around the world have worshipped him as God because of this phrase, it is finished. We believe that Jesus accomplished something in this moment that no one else could accomplish, that you, are, you and I are dependent on whether you believe in Jesus or not. So what is it that he accomplished? Let's just look at a few biblical truths this morning that I want to point out just from uh, just these three verses, 28, 29, and 30. Number one, Jesus chose to go to the cross. I want you to understand that this morning. If you, again, if you're, if you're new, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for, for uh, coming and just seeing what is the church about. And if you've never understood what did this historical event of, of Jesus being crucified, what all does it mean? Here's the first thing I want you to understand. Jesus chose to be crucified. He laid down his life willingly. The crucifixion was not some passive event that Jesus was working towards some other end, that he was trying to get to some other outcome, and he's surprised by being nailed to the cross. That's not what happens. That's not what happens. It says that he went to the cross Willingly, That's the testimony of all of Scripture, and that's the testimony of every person who worships Jesus, is that he chose to go to the cross. Let's look at two words here. It's the same one in verse 28 as it is in verse 30. He says this, 
In fact, I know because I see it from time to time that some of you have this word tattooed on your arm or tattooed somewhere on you, tetelestē or tetelestai. It is finished. That's the word. It's just the, the Greek word for finished. But the author uses it twice in these three verses that it is finished. What he's saying is the, the word is not just like, all right, I'm done, or all right, I give up. That's not what the word means. Tetelestai means the work that I set out to accomplish is completed. The work, Jesus, Jesus is doing an intentional, on-purpose thing here in giving his life on a cross, in being crucified. He is doing something on purpose for a purpose, and he is telling us, he's telling John, and then John is telling us through the gospel of John that the work that Jesus set out to complete is now accomplished. Again, to reinforce the fact that Jesus is crucified on purpose, verse 30 he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. His spirit wasn't taken from him. When he was done, he was done. He gave up his spirit. John 10, 17 through 18, Jesus foreshadows his own death in saying this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus' self-understanding, whatever your opinion is of Jesus, whatever you believe about Jesus, you can't get around the fact that him living, he believed himself to be God. And when he is crucified, he is crucified of his own accord. No one took his life from him. It'd be one thing if he rose from the dead and was like, whoo, dodged it. They thought they had me. I was, I was a little nervous there at first, right? That's not what's happening. He tells his disciples ahead of time, I have a cup to drink. I have a death that I must die. But believe me, trust me, I have the power to take it up again. He laid his life down willingly. John 18, verse 36, in being tortured by the Jews and by Pilate, in being in the middle of his torture, it'd be one thing if you could say this all bold and brave in front of your boys, right? But to be in the middle of being tortured it's easy for something else to come out, right? But in the middle of being on trial, life on the line, Jesus says, John 18, verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. He is laying his life down willingly, knowingly, and in full control of the outcome. He's saying that if I wanted to avoid this, I could avoid this. If, if those who were following me were just trying to overthrow a religious establishment or the current governmental power, then they would have been fighting. But I have arranged all of this that you might see me crucified and then see me resurrected. What's powerful in this for us this morning is that 
Jesus as God never quote-unquote lost the world. Therefore, he wasn't trying to quote-unquote earn it back. What I want you to understand about the cross is that this is not a transactional relationship. This is not something that Jesus puts on display and then says, okay, now your turn. Here's what I need you to do in order to now earn the right to understand my crucifixion. This isn't transactional. This is a gift. Jesus, as God, is putting on display for the world, here's my gift to you. He's not trying to earn a world back that he has lost. He is trying to reconcile people that are enemies of his. And he is laying his life down to draw us back to a father that created us. It's not a transaction. It's not a, if I do this, then this type of a relationship. That's a contract. What he's extending is a covenant. Even though you are my enemies, I will still love you. And that's what we see at the cross is a covenantal demonstration that I created you to begin with. You've never run far enough from me that I could now seek you out and return you back to what you were always designed to be. The only reason that you or I this morning would see the events of the crucifixion and be skeptical of the gift is if you are skeptical of the gift giver. And I want, you, I want to invite you to consider that this morning. What is your skepticism towards God? I don't know that I've ever met a person that has heard of the events of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus and disliked that guy. Does that make sense? No one's ever seen the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus and been like, overrated. We've only ever heard that story and been deeply moved. But when we start talking about entering back into a relationship with God, that's where our skepticism comes in. But if you can begin to understand that the crucifixion is this extension of a gift to you to return us back to the original gift giver, now we're getting somewhere. Biblical truth number one, Jesus chose the cross. Biblical truth number two that we see here, the scriptures predicted the cross. I'm going to move quickly through this. John 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture. See, Jesus was keenly aware of his divine assignment, but he was also keenly aware of his assignment being the fulfillment of scripture. I'm sure we'll unpack this in future weeks, but it's not, Jesus is not happening in a vacuum. Jesus is happening exactly of, as thousands and thousands of years anticipated these events. Here's what I want you to understand. There are over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfills with astronomical specificity. Over 300 very specific prophecies anticipated this Jesus that was crucified, including his crucifixion. If only eight of those 300 were fulfilled, the odds are one times 10 to the 17th power. That's one with 17 zeros after it. 
those are not great, great betting odds. Just for one times 10 to the 17th power that, that, that eight of those would be fulfilled, it's astronomical odds. And yet we have 300 prophecies anticipating the crucified, resurrected Messiah. What we see in that is that it's not a certain amount of information that we need to worship this Jesus. It's a revelation of who he is that we need to worship this Jesus. If you're looking for information, if you're looking for a logical argument, if you're looking for a philosophy that makes sense of everything, that is Christianity. But that's not what will change your heart. A revelation of who this Jesus is and his great love for you, that's what will change your heart. And it's not a little bit of behavior that we need modified. We need to be made new. That's the reason for the crucifixion. That's the reason for the resurrection. And that's the reason that we need these words of Jesus, that it is finished. I want to read something to you. Of all the prophecies that anticipated Jesus, let's just look at one. Isaiah 53, 3 through 5. I want you to listen to this. Isaiah 53, 3 through 5. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. If you're a follower of Jesus, you hear that, and you're fist pumping at this point. Yes, that's him. That's the salvation that I needed. That's everything I'm counting on. The scriptures anticipated this Jesus we anticipate this it is finished work coming to completion. I want to read something else to you. It's a quote. I refer many Muslim people to a passage in the Bible that is astounding to everyone. Isaiah 53, exactly what we just read. Among Muslim people, listen to this. Upon reading 100%, and I mean 100% of the Muslim readers say that this is Jesus. Think about that. I then ask, where does it mention his name? It does not. Then I ask, how do you know this is Jesus? They say that this is his book and that it is clear. They even say, we are not so ignorant to think otherwise, as if we're trying to trick them. That blows me away. I point out that this passage says he bore our iniquities and by his stripes we are healed. I explain that this is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. He even pronounced people clean, forgiven, and healed as a man. And only God has authority to do that. When I ask in what time period Isaiah was written, Muslims shrug. Most people anywhere do not know. 700 years before Jesus' birth, Isaiah prophesied. This is a miracle for the ages. His story is the hinge of all history. That's the truth of the crucifixion. It is the hinge of all history. If we don't have 
this crucifixion and this death of Jesus, we have no forgiveness for sin. If we don't have this crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, then we are lost with no hope of forgiveness and reconciliation back to the Father. So our last point that we see from John 19, 28 through 30, Jesus chose the cross, the scriptures predict the cross, and we need the cross. We need the cross. We'll walk through lots of different stuff that spells out the depth of the saving, redeeming, justifying, and reconciling work of Christ. But today, I I need you to understand something. When Jesus says it is finished, he's not talking about his own life, his own suffering, his own accomplishment. He's talking about a mission that he set out to accomplish for you and for me. We need the cross. John 20, verses 30 through 31 Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Friends, it's not more information that you or I need. It's a revelation of who he is and his great love for you. So I would ask you, why would anyone reject the cross? How how can some people, just think about the world that we live in, how can some people look at the cross and go, eh, not that big a deal? And how can some of us look and stake our entire existence on it, that we would change our life, that we would give up our life? How can people give up their life and go to Senegal to proclaim a crucified man? How can we change the way that we approach our entire career It's because some of us have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. It's because we look at the crucifixion of a man named Jesus and we hear the story of his resurrection and it's not just the story for us. It's because we've met him. We've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. One time when I was working at Chick-fil-A, there was this lady came in And you know how that look you get on your face when you're staring at a menu and you're just staring at it. You're not reading anything, but you're really like, I don't know what to get. And she's staring at it, and she's staring at it. And I'm standing there at the little kiosk, and I'm just kind of waiting for her to to give her order. And she's staring, and she's staring, and I'm, I'm so serious when I say this. She stood there, and she looked me in my eyes, and she said, I I want the fish sandwich. And I said, ma'am, I... (laughs) This is Chick-fil-A, you know, we kind of, all we got is chicken. And, uh, and this is what I would say is that she still wants that fish sandwich because she hasn't tasted and seen that the Lord's chicken is good. Right? Once, when, when Chick-fil-A came to my little small hometown for the first time, it was, it was mind-blowing. People would come and order, I want a wing and a thigh, and I want the bucket of, of chicken They would order the same thing they got at KFC in the Lord's chicken house because they hadn't tasted and seen that something different was good. You ever taken somebody to a restaurant, top three most vulnerable things in your life, take somebody to a restaurant that you're super excited about and you hope that they are going to feel the same way about it, right? But if their taste buds aren't adjusted to what you like, it's never going to feel the same to them. 
But some of us look at this crucified Jesus and he has changed our life for forever. And I think that for a lot of where we live here in Georgia, we think of Jesus more as a lifeguard. That, okay, as long as I kind of stay generally on the sand, just, you know, a little bit, maybe shin deep in the water, we can kind of, he's just going to kind of be watching over our little day at the beach. But the Bible paints a very different picture. Jesus is not our lifeguard of our morals, of our little bit of good, and maybe he just kind of saves us when we do a little bit of bad. Jesus is our great coast guard that we are drowning hopelessly at sea so far out that there is no one like us anywhere near in sight. And he, we, we are counting on him in this situation that through whatever means necessary, whatever comes after this, anything that you ask me to do after this, you have earned the right to tell me what you want me to do because I am drowning and I am hopelessly lost without you. That's the posture towards Jesus. He comes and he saves us and he pulls us out of, of giant waves and a mess with everything surrounding us and we are lost and dead without him. That's the difference. That's the hinge that everything turns on. Do you see your deep need for a savior? Do you feel like you're for the most part good with a little bit of bad? Or do you see yourself as hopelessly lost and in need of a Savior that could change the entire course of your life? If it's the second one, then it is finished. It is finished. I want to explain a few realities that I see. If it is finished, that things are different. Any debate over the human condition it is finished. Because of the cross, because of the resurrection, our debate over, are we a little bit good? No, Jesus was mocked, beaten, betrayed, abandoned, and murdered until he was worshiped. And that's what happens after the resurrection. People saw all of these events and the same crowd that was happy to chant, crucify him, crucify him, a few weeks later are worshiping him. How do you explain that historically? Apart from the truth of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Another one, any debate about the great love of God. You can't look at the cross and debate, does God really love us? Does he, does he want a relationship with us? Look at the cross, it is finished. Salvation has been, there's been a made a way for salvation through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, it is finished. There's no debate over what we are like and if we need saving. There's no debate over does God love us? It is finished. And lastly, any desires to earn God's love, it is finished. He has made a perfect and complete way for salvation. He demonstrated his great love for us and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. It is finished. And I think that's an easy thing for me to preach and it's a way harder thing for us to live. How many of us live as if I just, I need to provide, how many times have you said this? How many times have I said this? 
I just need to provide a better life for my kids than I had. At the cross, I say this as lovingly as I can. That argument is finished. You cannot engineer the future of your children's life. You just have to steward them into the grace of God. It's not a better life that you need to provide for them. It's a saved life that you need to lead them into. A wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. I know the proverb. But you can't engineer their life. You have to let them step into the life that Jesus died and said it is finished to provide for them. Defining life according to my terms, it's finished. God has given us a revelation of how to live according to his word. So therefore, I don't have to generate life into my image. I can live peacefully in the way that he designed life to live, whether it's my sexuality, whether it's my gender, whether it is my career, whether it's my earnings, whatever it is, I can look and I can ask an honest question. Does God have an opinion about this? And if it's somewhere, can I find it? And we look at the cross and the recordings of that crucifixion and we can say, God has an opinion on that. And he died to save me, to reconcile me back to him, that I could live out of the approval of a heavenly father and not not out of my own design. Therefore, anything that comes up in my heart and mind that's contrary to the design of God, I can submit because he's provided eternity for me, not just 75 years. So I wanna give you an invitation this morning. Jesus says it is finished, but is it finished for you? Has the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus been applied to your life? And I wanna give a different sort of an invitation this morning. Our prayer team is gonna be down front. I'm gonna be down front and I'm gonna turn my mic off. And if you have a question, a hang up, a concern, a doubt, let's talk about it. Is there anything keeping you from declaring with thousands of years, with billions of people that have heard about the truth of the resurrection of Jesus and said, it is finished and I want that for me. Brothers and sisters, I want that for you. And more than that, God wants that for you. And I know that because he gave his only son to provide that for you. Not that you would have to earn it, not that you would have to enter into some transaction to get it, but that you would surrender in faith, that you would declare allegiance to that God. Whatever comes after that, it doesn't matter because he's our Coast Guard. He has saved us from impending wave after certain death from an ocean that you and I can't swim out of. It is finished, but is it finished for you? Come and let's deal with whatever it is that's keeping you from a God that loves you. Chase is gonna lead us in worship. And if you do know this Jesus, what could keep us from singing in freedom? 
What could keep us from proclaiming and praising the name of this God that has saved us from death? So you come and you worship, whether that's through responding, through asking questions, through casting your doubts. We want to be here for you. Let me pray and Chase will lead us. Lord, we love you. We're trusting in your power, knowing that a way for salvation is now finished, but the work of telling more and more and more people. God, you deserve every person on this planet to worship you and to know the good news of what you've done in the world. So take ground this morning, God. Take ground. Bring more hearts back to you, God. In Jesus' name.